Hello, and welcome to Off Grid, where you should not panic, because it's not really about crosswords. Yes, we have solved a cryptic crossword, and yes, we are going to tell you three of our favourite clues and explain how they work to you. But the rest of the time, we're talking about other stuff, so it's fine. But if you do care about which one we did, because you want to have a go at it as well, this time it was the Guardian's puzzle from Wednesday the 3rd of November 2021, which was numbered 28593 and set by Chaos. So if you don't want spoilers, pause your playback here and we'll have a link that you can click on and all that sort of stuff. Otherwise, play on will no doubt be gallivanting through a gallimorphy of gubbins, courtesy of the usual people, which is me, Dave. And me, Void. As well as all of that, we will have our usual quick general knowledge quiz, courtesy of the ever-present, the ever-wonderful general knowledge. Hello, General. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, thank you for having me off-grid. You're always welcome. So let's give you those clues then. Uh, general, would you like to read out your favourite clue for us, please? I would. It's 20 across, uh, and the clue, uh, the numeration is 4 hyphen 2 hyphen 2, 422, and the clue is Rich Duke wears spectacles after springtime, question mark. And Dave, what's yours? Uh, my choice was 6 down, uh, which read experienced uplifting drugs like one down, also question mark, and that was eight letters. And for anyone who is going to attempt to solve that before we explain it, I will say you don't need to be told what the answer to one down was. What about uh, yours? I picked 17 across, which was terminal at Heathrow initially breaks rules, seven letters. So have a think about those, have a ponder, have a pause and try and solve them. Or just ignore them. We'll come back and explain how they work later. But first of all, General, which word did you pick out of the crossword to send your train of thought out of the station? The word I picked is the answer to nine across, uh, which is a sort of double definition, like 99% double definition, I'd say. Uh, so it's nine letters. The clue is fruity bureaucrats, question mark, to which the answer is mandarins. And um, what that made me ponder is the degree to which sometimes I think uh, people who set puzzles and quizzes might consider using something like the fact that a mandarin is uh, a bureaucrat and a, and a fruit and then dismiss that and think, well, sort of, I think everyone knows that and it might, they, they might feel it's a bit easy or a bit obvious or it might have been done before. And I'm very glad that Quaos um, didn't because I think we uh, we think about these these things a lot. Those of us who are sort of addicted to puzzles, but they're they're there for everyone. And I'm sure there will be people who solve this puzzle who've gone, oh yeah, I never I never noticed they were the same. And I think I think there's a certain kindness and and fun there in in not shutting yourself off to things that sort of quizzy and puzzly people are, are overly familiar with. And what it made me sort of contemplate, which which I do sometimes because this, this is how I am, is how people who set puzzles and quizzes give themselves a sense of how general the general knowledge that they're looking for is. You know, Quaios will have 
will have asked himself, will the connection between mandarins and mandarins be, be already there in people's minds or is it is it something I'm making? It's obviously fair to expect them to, to know it, but it's for, for people who do ask these things of people, you have to sometimes try and work out, is, is this fact known? Is this abbreviation in general use? Is this name familiar? And the only way you can do that, I think, is is by trying to remember how, how often and in what context you've seen it yourself, which is quite a peculiar thing to have to do, um, but something I find myself doing a lot. Yeah, it's the old uh, man on the Clapham omnibus test, isn't it? It's do we think the man on the Clapham omnibus would would know this and would be part of his general knowledge? Yeah. Yeah, I think it can be very tricky if you're going to try and put yourself in the mind of someone else, a puzzle solver, say, because you know what you know you don't know what you don't know or sometimes you do know what you don't know but you you can never know really what other people will or won't know yeah especially especially if the bit of usage that you're putting in is a, a cultural reference of some sort be it sport or entertainment or something and you're gonna go that's a field that i know about but can I be sure that my solvers know about it? I guess a lot of the time you have to sort of, uh, you'll be saying they don't necessarily need to know what Toscanini did, but they need to they need to be able to, through some combination of the wordplay and the crossing letters, they just need to, to have that string of letters in their heads somewhere connected to music. Mm. In order to be able to to go, oh right, is that is that bloke? Uh, who I yeah, Toscanini's a, a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Is, is you kind of do I just trust that I've got this right, or do I look it up for for confirmation? And some people feel that's okay, and some people feel it's cheating, and they want to avoid it, and it's entirely up to them. And and sometimes you can't. You can't. I guess some puzzles are, are designed so that. The solver, if they are, say, on a train, I'm thinking of that <laughs> poignant line um, of Reggie Perrin, who's trying to solve on the train, and he gets a bit stuck and says, "I just don't know any Bolivian poets." <laughs> yeah, that's quite. <laughs> yeah, mandarins. See, I, that's one of those words. I remember in um, the final of one of the series of Only Connect, they had uh, four clues in a, a round one a connection one and it was former japanese province moroccan seaport chinese civil servant and clement rodier right um and so the connection there i'm sure i'm sure the con- context has uh, has provided its own spoiler uh there well yeah because you've told us about mandarins so mandarins were a fruit so this clement person uh See, I would have guessed that Clementines were just named for their sweetness because Clement means sweet, but they're named after a particular person? No, weirdly, the sweetness is an Easter egg. Um, I can't remember who Clément Rodier was. I presume a sort of ah, cult, cultivating man. Uh, and the Moroccan right. seaport, uh, Tangier. Tangier. And, and the one? former Japanese yeah. province? It's the, the, the one, the other one they call Easy Peelers now, Satsuma. Yeah, you're on fire there. <laughs> cool. Should uh, we move on? Would you like to uh, go back to my choice of clue for a bit of an explanation on that? Yeah, go for it. All right. Well, if you recall, it was experienced uplifting drugs like one down. 
question mark eight letters and what i liked here was a clue pretending to be a cross-reference to another answer but not actually being so when you see the word drug or drugs in a clue about 60 percent of the time it'll just be indicating e as in ecstasy here plural so es but uplifting drugs so as this was a down clue that's a reversal indicator so se and then the word like is very often leading to you to as so as and then the clever bit is where it says one down that's just literally giving you the word one o-n-e and the letter D for down. So S-E-I-S-O-N-E-D spells seasoned, which is experienced not in the past tense verb sense, but in the adjective sense, like a seasoned veteran. I thought that was nice misdirection. Yeah. You want to tell us about your uh, point of interest in the puzzle now, Void? Yeah, I picked the word ghost. It jumped out to me because, well... Ghosts by Japan is one of my favourite songs, and there are lots of other fun ghost songs. There's Ghost Town by The Specials, There's a Ghost in My House by Ardine Taylor, The Ghost in You by Psychedelic Furs. Uh, last last song I'll mention is uh, it's a new song. It's called Just a Ghost by Claptone, featuring the vocals of Seal, and I think it's great. And I'll link to it in our blog so you can check that out. Can I say a ghost song? Oh, yes. Uh, It's Your Ghost by, I think you say Kristen Hirsch from The Throwing Muses. Kristen Hirsch. Yeah. I I think it's got Michael Stipe sort of going, in the background. Well, the the first single I ever owned was Ray Parker Jr. (laughs) Ghostbusters. (laughs) Who are you going to (laughs) call? Fabulous. That was the first yeah. piece of music I ever heard a ZX Spectrum try and replicate <laughs> in a Spectrum game. <laughs> oh, no, no, and I'd heard the music. It was the first time it, it had got anything close to sort of speech synthesis. So it went... Oh, right. It was revolutionary. <laughs> Marvellous. The word ghost. Yes. I'm going to go to... Uh, this is still in passing, really, but the word ghost was originally spelled G-O-S-T. Uh, and even before that, in Old English, it was G-A-S-T, ghast, meaning spirit or soul. Which I think gives us but, ghastly, doesn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. it does. Um, but it gained an H along the way, and that was when William Caxton was doing all his printing work over here, and he had a bunch of Flemish typesetters working for him. Another Flemish word for ghost is geest. G-H-E-E-S-T, yep. Exactly. Yeah. So the one of these Flemish typesetters looked at this English word ghost and thought, no, that's not right. Needs an H in it, doesn't it? So... Basically, we spell ghost like we do nowadays because somebody was wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, the knock on effect was we get aghast and ghastly both having an H in it too. Um, now, you see, if that had been my choice of word, that's exactly the story I would have told as well. 
It's such a good story that I didn't know, and I would say could only be improved if it had turned out that the Flemish typesetter was called Van Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I I got this from Susie Dent's book, Word Perfect. Anyway, back to ghosts. Yes. What I actually want to ask you is, do you know what the oldest ghost is? Not Casper. He's quite at the other end of the age spectrum. <laughs> we can go a little bit further back than that. Uh, I'm, I, I'm sort of being suspicious about what you mean by that. It's not a fair question, because obviously stories of ghosts are as old as the human race, because, you know, we all miss our loved ones when they die and we want to keep them alive in our memories and tell stories about them so uh for example there are there are ghosts in the odyssey by homer so that's uh, 7th century bce or 8th century bce so that's pretty old because uh odysseus in that story goes down to visit the underworld and talks to various ghosts but i am actually talking about the oldest depiction of a ghost a visual depiction do you know what that is is it in a french cave no you wouldn't be able to tell would you ah yeah no it's not in the lescaux caves does Um, it does it predate people having sheets to drape over their heads um (laughs) oh sheets uh no i'm gonna say people had Sheets, or at least something <laughs> similar to sheets at that time. Is the ghost is sort of in away. stone form and it's uh, part of a gutter and it's doing some, is it doing a wee out of the eaves of a church? Ah, it's, it's not a gargoyle. You're getting warmer with stone. Try clay. Ooh. A terracotta ghost? So, so pottery things. Uh, getting warmer three and a half thousand years ago in Babylon someone was writing an exorcist's guide to getting rid of ghosts into some clay tablets focusing as you do focusing on addressing what the ghost's problem was why have they come back to haunt us okay and on the reverse of one of these cuneiform tablets which would have been written in Babylonian, which is a later form of Akkadian, apparently, I looked up, we find a picture of a ghost. It's a male ghost, and he's got his wrists bound, and he's being led by a woman back into the afterlife. Because in this case, it was decided that this ghost was lonely and needed a companion. So this this ritual that the exorcist is describing involves making figurines of a man and a woman. Quote, you dress the man in an everyday shift and equip him with travel provisions. You wrap the woman in four red garments, garments and clothe her in a purple cloth. You give her a golden brooch. You equip her fully with bed, chair, mat and towel. You give her a comb and a flask. At sunrise... Towards the sun, you make the ritual arrangements and set up two carnelian vessels of beer. You set in place a special vessel and set up a juniper censer with juniper. You draw the curtains like that of the diviner. 
you put the figurines together with their equipment and place them in position and say as follows, Shamash, which was the name of the god of the sun and judge of the underworld. Uh, and the text ends with a warning, do not look behind you, <laughs> which to me gives an echo of the much later tale of Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Or alternatively, the pantomime. <laughs> it's behind yes. you! And it's wearing a sheet. <laughs> yeah. So um, all of this I read in a Guardian article, which is basically a promo puff piece for Dr. Irving Finkel's new book, which is called The First Ghosts, Most Ancient of Legacies, which is uh, published... Uh, on the day that we are recording this. So it's out now, listeners, by Hodder and Stoughton, if you want it. And no, we're not being paid to promote it. I just thought it was an interesting story. Sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And somewhere there's a 5,000-year-old to-do list created by a woman that she never got to finish because she got packed off to the afterlife. (laughs) Yeah, but at least she had some gin with her. Yeah, I guess yeah. the gin and the, the, the juniper beer, yeah. That's the oldest depiction of a ghost. Um, but I'll finish off by saying, if you want a newer depiction of an even older ghost, then you should see the character Robin in the BBC TV comedy series Ghosts. Because oh, yes, he's a caveman, caveman slash he? Neanderthal. Yeah. And that's a very funny series. Yes, well, yeah, the character, ghost story for It is, I think. Cool. General, would you like to talk us through how your favourite clue works now, please? I would. Uh, so 20 across, 4-2-2, rich duke wears spectacles after springtime, question mark. Um, so the definition bit is rich, and it's uh, the 4-2-2 letters are well to do. Uh, and then it all, <laughs> then it all gets uh, a bit rowdy. Uh, so the the duke, <laughs> the duke is the D, uh, so that's that's fine. We all understand that he's wearing spectacles. Um, so this is a, a, a crosswording convention that you won't find in the in a dictionary, where spectacles are uh, a pair of round letters, a couple of O's, but the duke is wearing them, so he's inside them. So that's the O D O bit. So then that, what that leaves us with is the, the welt before the udu, W-E-L-L-T, which Quaos has gone for uh, by saying that it's after springtime. So the spring is a well and the time is a T. And he's done it all as one word, but has, has, has very decently uh, put a question mark there to indicate um, that he is getting a little rowdy. Um, and... I should blooming hope so as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so the sort of thing that other newspapers might not uh, might not allow, uh, but the Guardian does, and and so we end up with with fun images like this. Well, after that to do, Dave, why don't you take <laughs> us towards two. your <laughs> your favourite word? Nice link there. Um, I was looking at the word innocent, which was the answer to thirteen across. Now, again, I'm going to ask you guys something. Do you ever have a situation where you learn a thing and having learned it, wonder why it was that you didn't always know that because it suddenly seems so obvious and you think to yourself, 
I must have been really stupid. Everybody else probably knows this already. All the time. Yeah, I definitely have that. Well, the reason I brought this whole ridiculous question up was it was only a couple of months ago that I learned of the existence of the word nocent. <laughs> which means guilty. You must have been very gruntled to find that out. Ah, well, yeah. If you've been reading my script. Um, so, yeah, at which point, been in low the dungeon. penny drops. That... Yes. <laughs> At which the penny drops, the innocent is a negative, which had never really occurred to me. So I had a quick look in the OED, as one does, for first citations dates. Um try and see innocent versus nocent versus guilty, which of them kind of came first, really. Uh-huh. Um, is a sort of... Uh, we could play a sort of etymological timeline, play your cards right here. Uh, when do you reckon, when would be your guest for the earliest citation for nocent, meaning guilty? Well, it has the look of a Latin word about it. Well, I'm, I'm talking about usage in English, in English rather than its kind right, of okay. origins. I can sort of picture yeah. it knocking about in I don't know the sort of 1650s, I guess. Sort of. I I'm gonna going the Latin route. I'm gonna wonder if the Normans didn't bring it over to us. So, Doomsday Book. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, OED's first citations are our first recorded usage and you know that things are probably rattling around earlier than that but that's the first time they've got for them but the date they've got for that is 1447 so kind of Mm. somewhere in between your your two guesses 1447 or a quarter to three in the afternoon (laughs) yeah so so given that what about innocent there's gonna be a big gap isn't there uh 1697. I, I'm going to stay 17th century. Yeah. Answer 1340. Ah, get out of town. Is that weird or what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so given that, what about guilty? Hmm. Now that feels more like and, a French word to me. I don't know why. Well, it's, it certainly sounds less Latinate than Nocent yeah. does, doesn't it? Guilty yeah. Guillaume. Guillaume, you are guilty. <laughs> you have not smoked yeah. yet today. Um, guilty, guilt, your guilt has been proved. Uh, is it in Shakespeare? There's, there's probably some super famous Shakespeare quote that is eluding me and the listeners are shouting you. Yeah. 14-something. Uh, 1400. Zero, zero. <laughs> uh, well, it certainly crops up in the West Saxon Chronicles, so that puts you around Ooh. 1000. So uh, that's, a, that's a jolly old word. Ah, so it's probably a Germanic uh, word. I think then. you've spoiled the word innocent for me, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> what, by learning that it's just a negative of nonsense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's. it's, 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 it's um... I've, I for, for, for all my years on this earth, I've taken it to be a sort of a quality in and of itself that we might assume that people start out with. Um, so, so now yes. to, for it to turn out to be 
Uh, well, yeah, he might have done it, but we can't it's, prove it's, it. You're not this other thing. Yeah, yeah, quite. It's weird, isn't it? So it's unoriginal sin. <laughs> Anywho, um, so this this led me to, well, it led me down two paths, and I'm hoping I'm going to have time to go through both of them. Are you familiar with a thing called the Google Books Ngram Viewer? Not Anagram Viewer, just Ngram Viewer. Have you heard of this? I love it. Go on then, what is it, Dave? Well, we know that Google Books have digitised huge numbers of books, um, and therefore they've got lots of text for several centuries that represent several centuries of usage in not just English but other languages. Um, So they've got a a corpus of language. and this is a little service that you can access, like any other kind of Google search. Um, and you can specify any time period between 1500 and 2019 and type in a search entry, and it will give you a graph of that word's frequency in the language across that time range. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I have seen this. I just didn't know what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can. You can filter to specifically use British English or American English or fiction or other languages. And as with any tool like that, there are caveats to its use, like the quality of the OCR scanning for the older texts. And you you can imagine that it has trouble with the long S and mistaking it for F in things like that. Um, But it's still interesting. And you can search on multiple terms at once. So... Uh, obviously, the x-axis is is date, and the y-axis is frequency as a percentage of all the words used, and, and that will scale to best show whatever your given data is. Okay. So, um, if I searched on nocent alone, I get quite a bumpy graph showing that the word had its heyday in the 17th and 18th centuries and started tailing off around 1750. And has been practically obsolete since 1900. Okay. But then, if I search nocent and guilty together, then all of those bumps for nocent flatten out because it's right at the bottom of the graph because the total usage of nocent has always been teeny tiny in relation to the usage of guilty. So the scaling of the graph is adjusting to fit all the usages of guilty. And it gives a bit more context to the fact that it was never really a common word in the first place. Um, but it's just an interesting little app to play with. Anyway, um, there was mention earlier on about feeling gruntled and such like. Um, so the other, the other sort of um, path to lead down from innocent was that of orphaned negatives, um, words where we still use the negative form while the positive one has either fallen out of use or never really existed in the first place. Um, so I've got a little list of those, and uh, it's, uh, I'm going to ask you whether you think they are ancient or modern, that is to say a real old word, or a modern facetious back formation. you with okay. me? Okay, mm-hmm. yes. I wonder if we might reference the word plum at some point here, but carry on. Uh, well, I haven't, but you might. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah, oh, I see what you... Yes, I see where you're going with this. Yes, 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 yes. I do see where you're going with this. Uh, first one is kempt as in tidy, the opposite of unkempt. Ancient or modern, folks? Ancient. Ancient, yeah. Something to do with being comely. 
It's the past tense of the verb to kemb, K-E-M-B, which is obviously an old variant of comb, and that's 11th century. So points all round. Um, Ept, as in adroit or effective, the opposite of inept. I'm going modern for that one. I think even though there's apt, I think ept just sounds very mannered. So you're both going modern on that one? Points all round. That was first cited in 1938. There's also eptitude from 1967 and eptly from 1974. How about ruthful as the opposite of ruthless, as in compassionate or merciful? I think that's... See, I wouldn't be surprised if that was in the King James Bible. Yeah, I'm going ancient for that as well. Um, there's there's a quote in Swallows and Amazons, isn't there? Because one of the Amazons is called Nancy, but that's not her real name. Her real name is Ruth, but her father, uncle, told her that pirates are ruthless, so she had to have another name. Yeah. Well, you're spot on again. That one's 13th century. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be uh, nodding all round because the next one in my list was gruntled. As mm. Pleased or satisfied or contented. I think uh, this is where Plum comes into it, isn't it? Uh, Plum being the nickname of P.G. Pe- Woodhouse. Pelham, Grenville Woodhouse, yeah. yes. Because he, yes. he had a whole paragraph or sentence where he just jammed as many of these non-opposites together as he could just to... Just for a laugh. Oh, well, the, the one I've got is uh, is from the Code of the Worcesters. It says, um, he spoke with a certain what is it in his voice, and I could see that if not actually disgruntled, he was far from being gruntled. Yeah. That's 1938. Very nice. I've only got two more for you. Couth, as in cultured or refined, opposite of uncouth. Hmm. I think that's ancient. I'll, I'll keep it interesting. I'm going to say uncouth. I don't know if it sounds... I could believe that was Scottish. So I'm going to say couth is a, is a mannerism. Right, so we've got a difference of opinion here for the first time. Well, this is, this is interesting because couth in other senses does exist since the 13th century, uh, meaning familiar or known, and I think that is northern and Scottish. But in the sense of cultured or refined as an opposite of uncouth, that is indeed a modern back formation. So in a sense, you're both right for picking for picking both answers there. <laughs> Go us. Um, and, and finally, gorm, heed or attention, that which you have not got if you are gormless. How could you, how could something, how could a lus word start to appear without the bit before the lus already being there? can't quite speculate that process so i think you yeah i think i think I'm going they, they used to say what a what a gormful gormful little girl you are <laughs> it has the feeling well gormless in itself has the feeling of a northern british word to me and i wonder if gorm itself is has viking roots uh, it certainly started off not G-O-R-M, but more like G-A-U-M or G-A-W-M, and it is indeed 12th century, that one. So uh, so I think points all round. Well done, folks. Um, Hooray. What about your choice of clue? Yes, 
I picked 17 across. Terminal at Heathrow initially breaks rules, which was seven letters. And this took me quite a while. This is a wordplay clue uh, in that the definition is at one end of the clue and the rest of the clue is wordplay. And in this case, the definition is terminal, which is what I originally thought. So terminal, something to do with an ending as in a railway terminal or terminal as in fatal. So I was thinking along those lines. And we have a couple of words in the clue in the word play, which are classic indicator words. We've got initially and breaks. So initially tells you you're going to take an initial letter from at least one word. And breaks can often mean in crossword clues to take something apart and put something in the middle. So indeed here we are looking at at. So we get the, the letters at for free in the word at. And then Heathrow initially. So that's A-T-H. And A-T-H breaks. So is in the middle of rules. And I had a lot of trouble thinking of what the rules would be. Laws. I, need, I knew I needed a four-letter word for rules. Finally, with all the crosses in place, I realised it was code, as in a way of behaving. So A-T-H breaks into the middle of code, which spells out cathode. And of course, I had not figured out the correct type of terminal we were looking for we were looking for an electrical terminal so well done for well done chaos for misdirecting me okay i think it's time for our general knowledge quiz Ooh. general what have we got what have we got um we have got three questions based on things in the quiz and the first one is based on 25 across the answer is edelweiss and your question is when the Sound of Music star Theodore Bickel visited Austria mm. and performed Edelweiss, written by Rogers and Hammerstein in the late 1950s, he was surprised by what reaction from elderly audience members? It's going to be either they associate the tune with a different tune, so they were shocked or happy or horrified, or... Are you saying singing one song to the tune of another? Is that... <laughs> it wasn't that. Although, uh... did, did you know you're not allowed to do that? You're not allowed to apply different words to the tune of Edelweiss. That either Rogers or Hammerstein was like had that written down, and the the current owners of the copyright still enforce it. I don't know what it was about that song in particular. I did not know that. Wait, you may not parody this song. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was wondering is if the Edelweiss is a particular symbol of something for this audience. Was it in Austria, you said? Yeah, he went to Austria and then I, yeah. I'm trying to give a nudge by, by, pointing, by pointing out unnecessarily um, that they wrote it in the late 1950s. Right, so not very long after World War Two. So the flower has some kind of associations with Nazism, the resistance, fascism, Aryanism, white flower. Uh, it's it, nothing so na nasty. They came up to him and they said, 
this was one of my favourite songs when I was a little boy. Um, I just I remember growing ah. up and my granny singing it to me. Of course, she sang it in the original German, um, and he would just have to sort of look at them and not spoil the, these these lovely memories they were imagining, and say this oh. this was written by a couple of American guys uh, a couple of decades ago. So was it very similar to a previous song, or did it was it just a very evocative song that? I think they sort of, they they nailed a certain alpine style, um, and it, right. it, it certainly fit. Like I, if you if it turned out they 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 plagiarised it from a, from an old folk song, uh, you you wouldn't be musically surprised. Um, no, it was, yeah. it's just memories playing tricks. I think. Well, uh, yeah. Good one. Very good. Next question. But no points. Yeah. So this is based on uh, this is based on a word in a clue rather than the answer. It's the clue for headless. I find it a bit sad. He's about to reform Slade without leader. The question is, when Noddy Holder is booked to appear on a television show, his contracts always forbid anyone from doing what? Ooh. So again, we're on a. You're not. I'm not expecting impersonating you to, his uh, voice, yelling out, "It's Christmas!" That seems uh, likely to me. Uh, second one is closer. Christmas is involved. So, uh, oh, okay. Dressing up in Christmas outfits. There's something they can't. Uh, they can't request. Oh, not requesting him to do their Christmas song. Or, or or that's it. Or even to say it's Christmas. Right. <laughs> if you get Noddy on your show and you want him to say it's Christmas, then you need a completely different contract and a, I think a lot more zeros <laughs> on the end of your appearance. Video. Yeah. <laughs> Ask him, can, can you say it's Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably be up for that. Ah, uh, marvellous. That's a point. That's a point for uh, for that one. And question three is um, is inspired by Crane. And your question is, which character in the sitcom Frasier was played by two different actors? Mm. I never watched it. Did you? I did quite often. That's... Oh, oh, I... Like this question. <laughs> that means you've got it. I, I suspect he's tweaked a, a sneaky answer. That means you've yes, put out I it's not the cafe, the, the, the barista. There is, uh, the, there, is, there is something in this question which is not implicit and you have to twig on to. Yeah, it, if you haven't watched it, Dave, then that makes it pretty tricky. I'm guessing, mm. I'm half assuming... That it's Eddie the dog. It is Eddie the dog, who was played for for many years by Moose, oh. uh, and then I think Moose was still alive, but uh, possibly getting cantankerous on set and was replaced in later episodes by Moose's son Enzo. <laughs> there you go. That's a good point, Hall. Ah, uh, right. Brilliant. I think it's probably time to wrap up, folks. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. You know the usual. Please subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have show notes with links to any of the particularly interesting things that we've talked about at offgrid.tlmb.net. You can say to hi to us on Twitter, where I'm at Skirwingle. And I'm at the Void TLMB. And you can also leave a comment 
on the blog if you like on any of our episodes and i'd also like to recommend hiring me to set a cryptic crossword for you <laughs> that'd be great we'd all like that cool and general would you like to recommend anything this episode to our lovely listeners well, I would recommend that your listeners convert their friends and family to the joys of uh, of crosswording uh, by giving them a book called Two Girls, One on Each Knee, which explains how crosswords work and also talks about how they've sort of permeated various aspects of life over the last century. I believe the author has also written a similar book about quiz and a sort of cryptic map-based travelogue puzzle book called the Shipping Forecast Puzzle Book, or all three. They sound excellent. Thank you very much. We'll go look for those. Uh, thanks very much for helping us out once again, General Knowledge. Oh, it's always good to come back with my new voice each time. Goodbye, everyone. That was Off Grid. Thank you for listening. Once again, if you enjoyed it, please, please tell a friend or give us a review or a rating or whatever. Give us a share, a retweet, whatnot. All of that really, really helps and makes a big difference for a small little feeble podcast like ourselves. Thank you. Thank you to Chaos for the puzzle this week and thank you as ever to the Trudy for our theme tune. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. Bye bye. This one, I, I think I managed to maintain this um, this accent that I'm doing almost consistently through the episode, which I'm very proud of. <laughs>